mighty pastor today. <laughs> and he's going to give a sermon and we're going to like. And it's called Unto the Measure of the Stature of the Fullness of Christ, Part 1. Rob. Well, greetings to all of you who are visiting today and those of who have tuned in today. Um, the title that I chose is one that kind of puts a burden on those who get up here in the front and, and speak. Um, Jesus actually chose those two uh, individuals that would come along in years to come and would preach the gospel message. And I picked in this particular uh, subject here uh, to be a multi-part one because it's, it actually is an introduction to something that I've been thinking about for a very long time. So let's go to uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where this is talking, talking about and Jesus left us some instruction. He said he gave some apostles, this is verse 11, and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Well, and I, I, there are a few I've known that probably had the ability to be good evangelists, but um, we're down to Pastors, elders, and teachers in this, um, and pastors and elders would go together. And teachers, of course. We, we have a lot of teachers, and Matt and I are the pastors here, and we have uh, Barnabas as one of the elders, but we also have deacons, and we also have a lot who teach here, as well as our ladies that teach the, the uh, Sabbath school classes. And, and there's a burden that, that Paul lays on all of us. Because he says, these are given, even all the teachers, all the pastors, it's given for a purpose, for a reason. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that's what we are here. We are part of the body of Christ. We don't know where all the body of Christ is all over the world, but there are others who are gathered together who God considers the body of Christ. And that's, so that's what we're doing. We're the work of the ministry, the perfecting, the maturing, the equipping, the building up of the saints and for the edifying of the body of Christ. He says, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. And I'm going to read a few more verses here that I didn't have, that I didn't give to Brian. So I want to go down a couple more. That we hereafter be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, 
may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And that's what we consider here. The head of this church is Jesus Christ. And we, we want to, to amplify Christ. We want to amplify the Father. We want to, to bring these things out and help each and every one of us um, to, to grow in understanding our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I wanted to, to point out a few of the, ver- the, the, the words here, because yeah, I, I was thinking about this as I was putting this message together. How important um, it is for the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So let me just take a, a minute here to, to go down here to my trusty uh, e-sword and do a couple of those things. So the word measure is an instrument of measuring. So we're looking at how high, how tall, uh, something that we measure, uh, a vessel for receiving and determining the quantity of things, a graduated staff for measuring and a measuring rod, proverbially the, the rule of standard of judgment. Now, so there is a measure that we're talking about, something that we're measuring, that we're, we're looking at. Uh, so then the measure then is the stature. So let's go back to um, verse 13 here again, and let's look at the next word. The measure of the stature, so that word, oops, I went to the wrong thing. I always do that once in a while. The stature, how come that's not doing that? There we go. Um, age, time of life, age, term, or length of life, adult age, maturity, suitable age for anything, metaphorically of, of an attained state fit for a thing, stature, i.e. height and comeliness of stature. So now we have um, things that we're growing into. We have a measure, we have a stature that we're growing up into that we're becoming a, a part of. And, now, and then fullness, uh, just like it says, that which is and has been filled. A ship in as much as is filled, i.e. man by sailors, rowers, and soldiers. So something filled, fullness thereof. So what we're looking at here is we want to be able to bring whoever comes to, the, uh, to, to bring a message. We want to be able to to do this. We want to be able to, to help whoever we're talking about to come to the understanding and to the measure and the, and the, of the stature and the fullness of Christ. And when, I, when I thought about this, um, we think, well, okay, I want to be that way when I see Christ in the kingdom. <laughs> wow! I, when I get in the kingdom, I can, I can look at Jesus Christ, I can be there with the Father, I'm going to have this glorious thing. Well, what we're talking about is building up now, living in this life, coming to the same stature and fullness that Jesus had when he walked on this earth. When he was alive. And to be more like him. Because we have a life to live before we die. And we have a life that needs to be filled. And we need a life that has Christ in us. And so we need to learn more about 
Jesus Christ, don't we? There's an interesting scripture in here that always kind of bothered me a little bit. And I don't know whether that has bothered you or not. But it, it, it's, it's in First John, the fourth chapter. And it has to do with the life of Christ. Beloved, be not, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He says, hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come. And even now it already is in the world. Uh, for my, all, all my time that I've been in this, in this way, I've always thought of Jesus as a man walking on the earth. But in this modern society that we're getting into, look at what's going on. Look at what's happening. There are so many false things being said. Jesus is gay. Didn't exist. God doesn't exist. There's no gender there's no male, no female. We're just all whatever we want to be. There's so much that is being promulgated now out in the society, out in the, in the news. And so consequently, this becomes more and more important for all of us to understand that Jesus walked on this earth as a physical human being. And it's important to understand that the prophecies in Isaiah had to be fulfilled. A son had to be born. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verse 6. A son is given to us. Isaiah 11, understanding that he had to come down through that, that lineage, that royal lineage, because that's where Jesus came. He is of the royal lineage. In Isaiah 53, he had to be that sacrifice. That we, every year, we come together and we keep the Passover service. And we read that and we understand Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb of God that was sacrificed. And so when we begin to see things that are happening in the society today that are beginning to turn people's minds away even to the point of giving up the truth, giving up everything to go back, to go into this world and to live in this world. And some that have understood this truth and have gone back into the world. Today, I have a message about the manhood of the Master. Jesus was a man's man. <laughs> Truly a man's man. You don't go around these rough and, you know, around the edges fishermen 
because that's what they were, powerful. Men, it, that was a job. <laughs> I'm not sure that I could have been able, even as a young man, to have handled fishing the way they had to handle fishing, throwing those nets out, constantly throwing those nets out, bringing them in, sometimes empty, sometimes with many fish, sometimes not so many fish. Working, working day in, day out to bring in their livelihood. They were fishermen. Most of them were fishermen. And so they were, I'm not saying rough around the edges, I'm just saying they, they were men. You know, they, it would have been very obvious very quickly. And he probably would not have survived if he had been gay in that particular timeline. I'm going to tell you that right up front. Because that was against the law, and they did not allow it. And they would have stoned him immediately for that particular part. And you, under, you can understand that, can't you? It's an, it's an important thing to understand. He was a man's man. And he was able to relate to men who worked who got their hands dirty, and he was able to relate to them. He was also a woman's man. And I, I want to I say this. I, I think he, he was able to, to touch women's lives, um, and you can see how many began to, to follow him and help Mary. Mary's, you know, Mary is actually Miriam, and it actually means bitter. They had lots of Marys that followed him, that served and helped. Mary and Martha and, and, and Lazarus were, were friends. Jesus loved them. And so you see all of these different things in, in Jesus' life. And you, you've got to understand that, that he was able now to begin to bring his message. And what he was saying would, would, would begin to, to, to grow and strengthen these disciples, the ones that he began to call. <laughs> the sons of Zebedee, Zebedee they, they just dropped their, they were working out there, and he says, follow me. They dropped their nets and walked off the boat, left their dad to, you know. To <laughs> they wanted to follow Christ. So, um, now what did Jesus come with? He come with a physical body, and we don't, uh, yes, we just went through the Christmas and all the things that, uh, uh, about Jesus and all of that. And, um, you know, and we understand that those, uh, he wasn't born on December the 25th. It was probably more around the, the, the Feast of Trumpets. But a lot of people observe it. And, and in a sense, they, they miss something because those early things were, were for a purpose and a reason. Because a son was born. And, and you look and you, you read through the, the different scriptures there. And it was important that um, certain ones were able to find Jesus. The shepherds that found him in the manger. And then later when he was a young boy, young, uh, a youngster, then those kings came. And they brought gifts because they understood who he was. He was a king of the kingly line of the, of the 
you know, one of the sons of David down through that line. And then we, the next thing that we see, which is a very small part of, the, of his life, he's in, <clears throat> he's sitting and talking to, the, uh, to these elders and, and, and they're amazed at how much he understands at, at 12 years old, at a young boy. And then that's, that's it. The next thing we see is Jesus coming as a man. As a man to do the work that needs to be done. And that work is the work of God to preach the kingdom of God. And we see that. And so we have a man in the word of Jesus. And of course, we understand that he had the spirit. You turn to John, the third chapter. Just a little bit of understanding of how powerful he was, and yet the restraint. <laughs> and this, there's, there's actually 12 lessons in this. And part of that is, is that, the, the restraint. But I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that here in just a minute. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I want to pick it up in chapter 3 and verse 33. He said, He that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives not the Spirit by measure to him. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And that he believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So how important was Jesus' life as he walked this earth? The Father loved the Son, and he had the Spirit without measure. Remember, the Scripture says we have an earnest, a small part, an earnest of, of the Spirit. Jesus had the Spirit without measure. Imagine the power that he had. He could walk on water. Literally, walk on water. The boat, one time, was just bouncing all around because of the storm going. He wakes up, <laughs> calms the wind. Powerful. Someone, he was walking along, and all these people were around him, and, and they were, he was just walking along. All of a sudden, he says, Virtue, virtue has left me. This lady touched him. Touched the hem of his garment. And was healed. So many lepers being healed. All these wonderful miracles. And yet, he restrained himself from using that power. Remember he said he could call if if it was not for the, the work that he was commissioned to do, and which we're going to talk about that here, the master's loyalty to the cause, because he was loyal to what God had sent him to do, he said that he could very easily have called 
seven legions of angels down to rescue him, but he did not. So we see, we see, a, we see Jesus, we see him with the ability and the power, and yet we see a restraint because he has decided to follow what God has sent him to do. So, let me introduce to you, and I don't know whether you were interested in it or not, but I would, I've been very interested in it for, for quite a long time. And it's, the reference is The Manhood of the Master by Harry Emerson Fosdick. Now he's, he was born in 1878, and he died in 1969. He was um, pastor of um, a Presbyterian church or something, a very large one, I think, in New York City during the 20s and 30s. So you can have, and in fact, this book originally was published in 1914, as you can see on my paper that I, that I, I sent out to everyone. And I, and I may only get through with this one, uh, but I'm hoping I can go through both of these. And they tend to be uh, daily studies is what they are. Um, the, his books and his uh, studies are available on, on Kindle. Uh, you, can buy, you can download it for 99 cents. Now, the books are a little bit more expensive. They're about $8. But if, if you want a daily thing and, and you look at it. Now, the caveat, I always want to say this when I, I bring out a different thing to the pulpit. I want to, I want to say that um, any commentary that you pick up, uh, Jameson, Foster, or Brown, uh, any of the commentaries, uh, Dake's Bible, and yeah, Dake's really good at some things and really bad at others. Anyway, any, any commentary that you find, make sure that you uh, hold it at the, in the light of Scripture. Now, the ones that I'm reading today uh, I felt fairly comf comfortable, and one of the reasons why I felt comfortable with it is because he commands us to do certain things. He, he, he puts a little burden on us, and I like that. I like, I like the idea that he puts a burden on, on us, and the, master, um, the master's loyalty to his cause. The first scripture there is Matthew 7, uh, 21 through 25. And he, he already has them written here, and I'm not sure what version he has. It might be a little different than King James. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, and kind of the, the art had a very, very similar thing today, and I, I um, appreciate that, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And by your name cast out demons, and by your name do many mighty works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Everyone, therefore, that hears these words of mine and does them shall be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the, the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So, very powerful words. And it's interesting that he, he actually 
It's looking into the future because somebody's going to come into the kingdom and they're going to say, Lord, well, I, I preached, I preached, I preached. You. And he's going to say, yeah, I didn't really know you. He said, Fosdick says here, have you ever thought of the master as being subtly pleased and flattered by all the people who call him Lord? Think how unworthy this would be of anyone, how impossible it is in him. Would any university professor be worthy of the name if he accepted personal compliments in the place of hard work on his courses? Consider our own Christian life in the light of today's searching passage. Someone has said that to call Jesus Lord is orthodoxy. To call him Lord, Lord is piety. But neither one nor both of them can satisfy him unless it's accompanied by real devotion to his cause. That's true, isn't it? I mean, we have started a journey. When we, when we go into that baptism, we come up out of that watery grave, we begin a journey that has an end. And there might be all kinds of things come against us, good and bad. But the journey is not to the end not ended until we have made it into the kingdom of God. And we cannot stop until that happens. And we cannot change or, or, or go away from the cause that Jesus has set us on. The second one, <laughs> that's, that's day two. And, and what he really wants us to do is meditate on these things, to think about them. To come up with other, it's like all Bible studies, isn't it? You sit down and you, you find a scripture and all of a sudden, oh, hey, there's other scriptures that go with this. This one goes with this one, this one goes with that. And now you have a Bible study that puts things together. And that's how you, 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 you build, you grow in grace and knowledge and understanding of God's word. And one said unto him, behold, your mother and your brethren stand without, seeking to speak to you. But he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother, and who is my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and my mother. It's interesting, isn't it? So we become his children. <laughs> We've become God's children because we do the will of God. Jesus says here that only those who do God's will for, uh, for them can belong to his family. You believe that God has a will in general? Have you ever faced seriously the fact that he must have a plan especially for your life? There can be no real plan for the whole that does not include a plan for all of the parts. There can be no will of God for the whole world that does not include the will for each and every one of our lives, because he's put us in that plan. Some men, like captains of ocean liners, know that there is a course mark out particularly for them, and they are trying not to miss it. Some, like pleasure sailors out for fun, go anywhere 
a chance uh, uh, Caprice suggests. What sort of life do we live? Do we have a direction? Are we determined to go the course and live the way that Jesus is showing us to live? In John, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 31, In the meanwhile, the disciples prayed him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not. The disciples therefore said one to another, Has any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to accomplish his work. If any man, and John 7 verse 17 says, If any man willeth to do his will, he shall know of the teaching. So, it is, Jesus was focused to do the will of God. To complete that work. No matter what. He had the cause. And he was, he was going there. Have you ever have you entered at all into the spirit of Jesus as he seeks continually to know and to do what God wills for him? Consider how a man may discover just what God wants with his life. He must be willing to do whatever God wills for him. He must be loyal to as much of God's will as he knows. He must ask habitually and not once in a while, what will you have me to do? He must test all his choices by the principles of Jesus. He must tune his conscience and his intelligence by prayer until God can speak through them. Does this describe our life? Is God teaching us, guiding us, and leading us, and helping us to see the world that we live in and to focus on the goal ahead, which is the kingdom of God? In Matthew, the fourth chapter, this is day four there. From that time began Jesus to preach and to say, Repent you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then again in Matthew, the sixth chapter, nine through ten. In this manner, therefore, pray you, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven as, as so on earth. As in heaven, so on earth. Bosick says, consider the, the master as a, a patriot for a great cause. Is not this the sort of loyalty and element of all noble characters? Think of Livingston, Luther, Florence, Nightingale, Lincoln. No character was ever counted great without loyalty to a cause, without standing for something more than himself. The kingdom of God on earth, the rule of righteousness in the personal life and social relationships of all mankind was Jesus' cause. And of course, bringing the kingdom. And so you can understand the difference there um, that he is thinking uh, that's the kingdom on earth, but we understand that the, the kingdom will come. Consider how he lived for it prayed for it, suffered for it, died for it. Are you really a patriot? Are we really patriots for the cause of the Master? 
Can he rely on us at all costs to be loyal? And some, some get into situations in their life and they think God is against them and they blame God for their situations and their, and their troubles and their trials in their life. And they reject God and they go back into the world. Understand, <laughs> on an individual basis, brethren, we are responsible to see our own sins and to ask for repentance. To see our own weaknesses and to be strengthened from them and to grow from them. And to, and to put those things away that are not good in our life. And be overcomers, as the Bible says. There are many things that we can think about in these particular areas. Let's go to the next day, Matthew 5 and 13 through 16. He says, You are the salt of the earth. Whether the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on the stand, and it shines unto all that are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And that's the way we approach people. We, we let them see that we are good people, that we, we are uh, believers, that we live the way that um, God has showed us. Jesus says here that his disciples are more than mere individuals. They represent his cause. I don't know if you've thought about that or not, that we represent the kingdom of God. We are those who are pursuing our life and the end goal is the kingdom. But we continually believe in what Jesus teaches us so that we can grow in that and we can become more like Christ. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it shines unto all that are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says here that his disciples are more than mere individuals. They represent this, his cause. They stand for him in the world. His honor, his reputation, success are in their hands. Consider how true it is that every man has a power to represent something more than himself. And that he's always, he, uh, he always comes to stand for a type of character or a special human interest in the minds of his acquaintances. Can you think of Beethoven without thinking of music? Can you think of William Lord uh, Garrison without thinking of the abolition of slavery? Can you think of Jesus without thinking of the cause of God and righteousness in the world? What do, do our uh, fellows think of when um, we come to their minds? What is the reference in our life? For what do you stand for in your university or community? What do we stand for? We stand for this way. 
we broadcast, we, we go out, we try to, to bring the, the truth, the good, good news to as many people as will hear. This is the sixth day. No man can serve two masters. Either he, he will hate the one or, and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 12, verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters. Matthew 6, 33. But seek you first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Bostick says, face in your own life to today the serious fact that you always stand for God's cause or the opposite, and that in the long run, no one ever succeeds in standing for both. When a man sins, he becomes a representative and ambassador of an ally of the forces of destruction in human life. Consider the terrible effects of sensual vice on the race. Then think what it means that anyone who indulges in the vice is a representative of that cause. That's, that's pretty plain, isn't it? When we participate in the sins of the world, we become a part of what the world is doing. And especially if we promote it, and we get out and promote it, we become a part of that cause that the world is promoting, which is a sinful thing. Is it not the same true of gambling and dishonesty, of lying? Uh, sin is treachery to the cause of human welfare. It is going over the race's uh, enemies in the spirit of Benedict Arnold. Righteousness is loyalty to the cause of the world's, world's salvation. In the long run, you cannot be both uh, on both sides. Um, and he asks, which side are we standing on? I mean, the Bible asks that. <laughs> even, even in the book of Revelation. Now, don't be lukewarm. You're either going to be cold or you're going to be hot. I'd rather be hot. Sometimes I get kind of weak, but I'd rather be hot. I'd rather be hot for God's word, for God's truth, and do what we can do. One, the last day here, and we've got uh, just one more verse here on, on this one. And I think it's, and then I've got a little bit of commentary that he wrote that I thought was very, very apropos for this. This one, then comes Jesus with him into the place called Gethsemane. And said unto his disciples, sit you here while I go yonder and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and sore troubled. And said unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Abide you here and watch with me. And he went forward a little and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes into the, the disciples and finds them sleeping. And he says unto them, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came again, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying again the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said unto them, Sleep now, take your rest. 
Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, He is at the hand that betrays me. Loyalty always costs, brethren. And you may have to face that someday. I don't know what the world and where it's going. But I do know that it's becoming more and more, it will become more and more difficult to preach and teach the truth out of the Word of God. Especially when we, we step on the feet of those who don't believe uh, what the Bible teaches about male and female. About marriage. And about the various different things that, we, that the Bible teaches. Because God created us male and female. And so consequently, we will have to stand for the truth. He says, loyalty always costs. It costs far more in the end to be loyal to a cause of evil, but sometimes costs heavily to be loyal to the will of God. In your life, are you willing to pay the price to be lo- of loyalty to God? In the light of today's passage, is the real meaning in the calling Jesus, Master, and Lord, if you are not? Face frankly today the places where you have dodged the sacrifice that being true to God, God's will for you required you uh, to make. In other words, where can we improve our lives so that we really are strong in the cause that God has called us to live by? The kingdom of God. Believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in the work that Jesus did. Believing that he came to this earth as a man, walked it, preached, taught, and then gave his life, sacrificed his life, shed his blood literally on a stake until death. And thankfully, we all understand, thankfully, he was resurrected and sits at the right hand of the of the Father on high. I have just a little bit more here that I'd like to read, uh, and let's see where did I, where did I start this thing? It says, um, I think this is where I started. The aspect of our Lord's character as a loyal devotee of a cause gathering followers who share his loyalty is reflected in his habitual thought of God. We can we. We continually emphasize the all-embracing knowledge and the boundless friendliness of God. God is wisdom. God is love. But when we turn to Jesus, we find another aspect of divine nature made central. The will of God. He speaks of God continually as one who has a purpose, a plan, a will for the whole world and for every life in it. Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Mark 3.35 My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. John 4.34 John 4.34 I seek not my own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 5.30 6.38 
When his disciples ask him a prayer, he puts in it his own great petition. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10 And last, when his loyalty is eventually going to cost him the supreme sacrifice, he says, Thy will, not mine, be done. In his thought of God, wisdom and love are adjectives. Modifying God's will rather than uh, nouns in their own right. The will of God is full of love. It's not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, Matthew 18, 14. And the will of God is wise. Your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. But primarily God was a God at work. My Father works, even until now, and I work, John 5, 17. He had a plan that gave meaning and purpose to all history, and Jesus' glory was that he, he knew that the purpose and was uh, absolutely loyal to his Father's plan. He believed that he and his followers were called on to build roadways over which hosts of God would march uh, in victory. He believed that he was the representative of the eternal purpose of God. The only thing in life worth living and dying for and his enthusiastic loyalty is his dominant quality for the time he came into Galilee crying. The kingdom of God is at hand until he died for this cause on Calvary. Calvary. Missionaries tell us that in, and I'll, I'll leave it right at that, but understand that that is still the purpose that we hold. And I definitely am not going to get to the next one. So you can use that as a study guide. Uh, the master's joy. And it's interesting. Uh, the, um, um, the cloud fronted the chosen. I always found it very profound that they chose someone and they, they coached him to smile. Um, in the world, it seems like the ones that they picked to, 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 to be Jesus sometimes were just so morose. Jesus wanted to live, and he wanted to, to, to spread that out. And so he, was, he, had, he rejoiced. He, he said, I, I want to leave you my joy. Of, of the three, and all of, of course, all of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Understand that all of the fruits of the Spirit, Jesus uh, had. And he was uh, very profoundly strong in all of them. But understand, love, joy, and peace. He left us understanding how he loved us and sacrificed his life for us. He wanted us to understand that we should have his kind of joy. And as he lived, and he, you know, people were against him, but he, he still had a lot of joy and he gave it to the others. And peace. He says, I give you my peace. And so we look in the scriptures and we see those things and we understand that God, the Father, wanted Jesus to be a man who would be a tremendous example for us. 
in every way. A man's man and a woman's man. And as you study this, look at Jesus in a little different light. Maybe you'll see that.